So I don't know about you, but these days, the world feels a little more isolated. I think coming, quote unquote, out of COVID, uh, we're still really used to working on our own. A lot of us have left jobs or uh, changed jobs and things feel a little lonely and they haven't sort of gotten back to that boisterous social environment that we're used to. But also I think our tolerance of things has changed, like what our our needs are in terms of being alone or having quiet time and being social. And so we're going to talk about that today on the podcast. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and you're listening to the Small Nonprofit Podcast, where we bring you practical down-to-earth advice on how to get more done for your small nonprofit, because you are going to change the world, and we're here to help. I'm really excited to welcome my guest today. Sean Kozofsky is the nonprofit fixer. Fixer, I love that title. Uh, I've been following Sean for years since I started consulting. I feel like at least five or six, maybe even longer years ago. And Sean is joining us from New York, but he's from Detroit and has lived all over the country. And I love that Sean has a Vishla named Harry, named after Prince Harry, because he's also a redhead. And Sean, I'm so excited to have this conversation. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Super excited. So tell me a little bit about, like you work with a lot of nonprofits. We're talking about isolation today. Can you kind of give me like a, you know, pace setting like where are things right now how are people feeling i feel like i sit alone in my little office in my house that i actually don't have my finger on the pulse of what people are experiencing in organizations so what are you seeing well i think that you know for many many years people have been moving toward a work from home sort of culture or working remotely sort of that has become more and more the norm but then I think the pandemic certainly was a force multiplier for working from home, obviously because of shelter in place, but in many parts of the country that wasn't enforced for, for more than a few months and people went back to work. But I definitely think that that was a force multiplier for people reassessing what was going on in their lives and making trade-offs between the human interaction of going to be with other people and having that FaceTime with your supervisor or FaceTime with your colleagues or having to get rid of that <laughs> that soul-crushing commute, uh, just these trade-offs, right? And ultimately, at the end of the day, I think the savings and the convenience, and for those that are parents or have people they're caring for at home, the work-from-home thing has been um, great and convenient, but also isolating. So there's all of that part of it. And then there's just the role. Like nonprofits are these really weird, unique types of organizations. And it's hard to relate to other people um, because so many of our friends, you know, talk about their businesses and making money. And we're not here for profit, we're here for impact. And so um, I do think that there can be some isolating parts of this job, but specifically for executive directors um, or people who are only doing, like they're the only one doing their role in the nonprofit. Mm. It can feel like you have to explain to everyone what it is you do. I can't tell you how many times a comms person has had to tell everyone else in an organization what it is that they do or what the operations people actually do or HR. But if you are the only person in your organization doing a certain role, it can be pretty isolating. And that adds to the force multiplier effect of the pandemic and social distancing. 
Yeah. And most small nonprofits, like you are the only one in that role. I remember when I first started as a fundraiser uh, many years ago, I was the only fundraising staff and I was actually the first ever hired fundraiser for the organization. So they had no idea what I did, but I found a community of other fundraisers at similar organizations. And that I think allowed me to stay in that organization much longer than had I not had that community. So I definitely am feeling what you're talking about or have experienced that. Uh, and that's somewhat unique to small organizations. And yes, as a fundraiser, it's like a we're sometimes a social pariah in social situations. Not only do people not get it, but they think you're going to ask everyone for money at every second of the day. And I think executive directors and other nonprofit pros also feel just misunderstood. So that's that's going on. That's here. And so it obviously, like, I think, I feel like some people who maybe were more naturally introverted have been able to find an excuse to like be that be that way in the workplace setting but they also get lonely. So let's talk about how this shows up and how it's affecting our lives and our work lives. Yeah, I think that um I'm also an extrovert. I'm a massive extrovert. Like I don't know and all the personality indexes and there's a, a a score that goes off the chart, but I am like a deeply like interpersonal and like social creature. And I will say that for small nonprofits, especially the isolation is compounded with the fact that you don't have a lot of support, right? I mean, there's, you don't have money to delegate things to hire it out or to hire a vendor. You have to do it all yourself. So you're doing a lot of different things. And that can lead to you actually compounding something around like imposter syndrome, feeling like I'm asked to do 20 different things. I can only do three or five of these things. Well, not all 20. I remember in my 20s, I was burning out. I burned out by age 30, maybe actually by age 26. I had a burnout experience because I was doing three different roles in my nonprofit. I didn't have a job description. I didn't feel like I was doing any of them well because we just kept taking on more and more work. My executive director was a tactical programmatic genius, but not a great boss. And so all of us were just like almost to tears in terms of like burnout level. So that can also add to to the burnout when you're trying to do too many things. I'm a big believer that organizations should be okay being small. It's one of the things I teach, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today, I think, is this idea that evolution has always benefited smaller creatures over larger creatures, always. And Mm. um, if you can do three things well instead of 20 things poorly, you actually have the edge. And that if you you don't have a, a central, expensive, bloated core of staff and offices and all this stuff to pay for, you have the evolutionary evolutionary edge. And what organizations in D.C. or New York don't want to partner with local small organizations who have relationships, who know how to make a dime, do $100 worth of work, who are incredibly efficient? and who are entrepreneurial. Nonprofits make something out of nothing every single day. We are entrepreneurs. We are inventors. And no one does that better than small nonprofits. So this idea of being okay, being small, and not resisting that impulse that scale and that you have to be big to have impact is just just not something that's sustainable. Mm. Uh, I feel like when you were talking, I wanted to say like, 
be, don't be the dinosaur, be the amoeba. Yeah. So I think that's so interesting because again, like I, I feel like one of the reasons I created this podcast was so much of a similar experience of, you know, when I started in the sector, you know, I was a fundraiser, but I also did all the communications. I ran a subway ad campaign, like on like outdoor ads. Like I didn't know anything about that. And I think giving us, giving ourselves the permission to say, actually, we don't need to do everything. And some things, I just had this conversation, some things just don't need to happen just because another organization is doing it or what have you. It doesn't mean it's going to be meaningful for your organization. So pulling things back a little bit and not focused on like adding, adding, adding all the time. How, and I think that's a really practical tool. How, what are other sort of things that we can develop to help us um, avoid that or break that isolation, I think, right? Like, and part of what I'm understanding is, you know, when we are overworked, we actually get more and more isolated, right? Like we're just like so deep in it. We, I actually am feeling like that right now at home. <laughs> like my husband and I like barely look at each other because we're so busy. So yeah. we actually have to create time in our day to be less isolated. Yep. What else can we do either at an individual or organization level? Um, if you do have a self-care practice, I do, whether it's meditation or exercise or running or just taking 20 minutes to go play with your dog, like my dog, Harry, um, I have made the transition from full-time employment to running my own business, which is a much more flexible schedule, but I have it baked into my calendar every day. Mm. Take time to go play with Harry, go run him at the park with this Frisbee, his favorite thing to go do. And my dog teaches me, he reminds me about play. He reminds me that there's nothing more important than play, right? Just so he, every day he like, I, I get lessons by watching him. But if you have a practice, fold that into your day. I'm a big fan of work blocking, like literally time blocking, putting things in your calendar for things. I have a thing in my calendar that says every day at five o'clock, stop working. This is now the time to visit with friends, catch up on personal tasks, um, make that meet, like literally cook at home. And so in New York, it's so tempting to just order in all the time. And to like, I have, it's going to sound cheesy, but I have it in my calendar to like uh, recurring events, reach out to three friends I haven't spoken to in a year, right? Like just reach out to them, zoom with them, do something on, on some kind of like messaging and just keep in touch with the people you know and love. The going out with my dog is also to just engage with my neighbors also. I'm pretty involved with the local park here that's that we're trying to like, you know, develop. Um, but in other ways to break out the isolation, I feel like is to, uh, for some people, getting back together in person is really possible and uh, it needs to be encouraged. Mm. Um, I, lately, I am doing this hot desk thing at WeWork every now and then because for $39, I can just drop into WeWork for a day. And there's all this buzzing energy of other people who are getting coffee and maybe a beer and they're like talking and there's energy. And there's something about that kind of return to things that can just excite your energy, changing your physical location, just going to a coffee house, going to the library, going to a co-working spot for a day, maybe an area nonprofit has lots of space, pushing yourself to go do those things. It can get so comfortable to just sit at home and just stay in your pajamas, but it really is important to stretch yourself. So calendar blocking, getting outside, 
self-care practice, co-working locations, uh, reconnecting with friends out of nowhere. Um, the minute you start reconnecting with people, your synapses in your brain start firing and you start thinking mm-hmm. that you want more of that interaction, right? And for introverts, you can do it in small doses. For me, yeah. it's like, I, if you put a gun to my head and said, do you want to just stay in and watch Netflix tonight or go to like a, a giant gala? I'm going to pick the gala every time um, because uh, I just want to be around people. I find it so energizing. Yeah. I would say I'm in the middle, but like leaning towards extroverted. But here's my problem right now. And I'm saying this because I know our listeners are going to resonate with this is like, I hear you, Sean, but I'm so the work is so important and I'm working on all these urgent things and I have these deadlines. And like literally my husband and I, because we're both feeling that way right now, like I woke up at 4.30 this morning and I sat down on my desk (laughs) and I'm like, you know, and and I don't even work for a nonprofit. I work for myself. I have the ability to say it's not important or urgent, but I'm excited. I want to do this work. So how do I get myself kind of out of the vortex of feeling like everything has to get done like yesterday? Um, one, we, we need to not take ourselves so seriously. Even if you are doing life-changing work where if you don't do this work, someone's life could actually be in jeopardy, right? Uh, maybe you're a civil rights activist or trying to get someone out of prison or helping some 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 person at the border or like there's whatever you're doing. We need to still not take ourselves that seriously. The work is endless. It is endless. So yes. there will always be need. There will always be people to help. And the and it, it sounds weird to say this, but we overinflate our own importance a little mm-hmm. bit by thinking we can solve it. If only I just put in more time, there's that guilt or that energy that drives us toward this work. And if it hadn't been me facing burnout at 26, I had to literally go on a meditation retreat in the mountains of New Mexico and it saved my life and my career. Cause now I not just make time for myself to do stuff for myself, but I make time for myself to do nothing. And mm. it has kept me in this work 20 long, 20 more years. Um, because I'm 46 now and I'm, I've been in the movement for over 30 years in different movements for 30 years because start starting at 16. And I really do believe that we need to not take ourselves that seriously. And there will always be more work. You have to, you have to tell yourself there will always be more grants to write. There will always be more tasks. I need to make the decision to do less. You are not you're not going to not achieve your mission faster. You're going to not let anyone down. It's okay to do less. Not only is it okay to do less in terms of just the, the getting mired in task after task after task, but it's okay to do less for your own sanity. The movement and your organization and your stakeholders need you long-term. Mm. They won't have you if you burn out. So there's that. The second part of what you said is this, like just getting sucked into like, I could literally go a whole day doing lots of small tasks and not even know what I did, but I know I was busy and productive and I know it all mattered. Yeah. But one other productivity hack people can do is to do the three tasks each day um, mm. rule. So at five o'clock every day, you make a list of three things that you're going to do the next day or first thing in the morning before you do anything else. What are the three big rocks that you're going to get done today? And if, if, if nothing else gets done, if you, even if you did email, whatever it is, if you get those three things done, you're going to be more productive than most Americans, period. If all, if three out of the five days you hit your three things and three things could literally be, I'm going to create this one page document. I'm going to send that report off 
off to Steve, like just the three things that must happen. That's the second thing that I would definitely say. And then the third thing I would say is in terms of like, there's always more work is this idea of doing less. Um, I recently wrote a big blog post about the four-day work week. And mm. we implemented the four-day work week at my climate change organization last year. So the blog post I wrote is a complete guide on how to implement it. We practiced it. We talked about it. We practiced having Fridays off. We created a Slack channel to journal as a team how we were feeling. Uh, we anticipated challenges with it. And then we rolled it out with a 90-day pilot. We condensed all the work into four days. There is a way to condense five days of work into four days by slashing meetings, working asynchronously, moving your personal meetings to Friday. And there's a couple other tasks that we actually implemented. It's all in the blog post. But you then have an extra day. And you could do that for productivity or for nothing or for family or for just rest. Um, but I really am a big believer that... Um, if you are that kind of person who's a workaholic or type A or a perfectionist um, or any of those situations, you are not going to be good to anyone if you burn yourself out. And you won't know what's happening until you break down crying over your coffee one day, being like, what have I done? I, you know, I haven't seen my kids or I haven't like I haven't like gone outside at all. But damn, that grant was completed. We just can't be in that world. Yeah, totally. Oh, yes. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the workplace and breaking the isolation like these are all a lot of things personally that we have to work on but we are usually working in teams not you and I but a lot of the organizations uh who listen how do we create you know we mentioned going back to the office and not all the time though so what do we how do we create a meaningful environment where it's not just like going back to the office and sitting on Zoom meetings all day, that we actually are using that as an opportunity to break down the isolation that has developed over the last couple of years. If you end up going back to work and then you're still on Zoom meetings, I actually think that that's okay. What isn't okay is some organization ordering everyone back to work and then they're still on Zoom meetings, right? Like, oh, I have to go back to the office. And then you get there and then you're still Zooming with the people that didn't come in, right? Or you're in shifts or something. But if the transport of getting yourself out of your home to get back into a routine, our routines matter and, and the pandemic broke those. So not only is the routine of getting up and commuting and going someplace part, you start passing different places. Oh, I used to love that bakery. Or now I'm going to actually go on this beautiful walk near this fountain every day because that's what I used to do when I was at the office. The transport is a thing. The being around other people is a thing. So even if you get there and you're on Zoom, that might be okay if the whole experience is a positive one. Um, the isolation and working with teams, um, I still think that the way we collaborate is super interesting and super entangled. I do think that for employee motivation, one of the things you definitely want to do, if you're lucky enough to have staff, like three, four, five staff or board members, consultants, whoever you're working with, if you're lucky enough to have that size budget, the, the motivation thing really is sometimes it's about results. Sometimes it's about goal setting, but sometimes it really is about just checking in with each other. And and check-ins serve a purpose. They're, they're not just like an extra meeting, but they actually have a organization building, capacity building impact. 
So uh, I do believe that check-ins reduce error. Check-ins and, and, and collaborating with your team members do reduce duplication. They reduce rework and, and, and having to do something twice. Um, sometimes you want redundancy. You want multiple things happening in an organization to make sure that a donor doesn't lose a, a, a communication or a thank you, right? But in general, the way we collaborate with each other and engage with each other um, can be really powerful. So if you're still going off to work and you're on Zoom, try to fix that. Try to see if you can do these things in person. But what you don't want is that as a manager or a leader, ordering everyone back to work and then having them sit on Zoom. Try to organize that so that's not what they're doing. I take a lot of calls now by phone because meetings go faster, they're shorter, mm. they're more efficient. The minute an agenda is done, I leave. <laughs> you know, So I'm like, hey, are we, all, are we all done with this? I know we've scheduled this for 30 minutes, but we're done at the 22-minute mark. Can we all go back? Because I have things to do. We're in a four-day work week now, so I want to get things done. Usually people are pretty good with that. But I think to your question, I think that it is the collaborative nature of this work is is so important and so powerful. It doesn't have to happen over Zoom, though, and it certainly uh, it, it takes on all these new dimensions if you can do it in person, even if it's at a coffee house and not at the office. But uh, I would encourage folks to to lean in. This the muscle of staying at home is getting really really strong, and we need to we need to kind of exercise it by getting ourselves out, even if you're an introvert. I love it. Okay. I want to wrap up talking about check-in because you mentioned that. And I feel like people don't know how to do that very well. So can we talk about like how to use that time, especially, you know, looking at time efficiency, four-day work week. What do we do during a check-in to make it meaningful and productive, but also that opportunity to just connect person to person? The organization I was just with, the Climate Advocacy Lab, had a great check-in document that we borrowed from the Management Center. If folks are not familiar with the Management Center, it is a nonprofit that helps organizations learn how to manage. A lot of nonprofits did not get management training. How do you hire? How do you fire? How do you like sample scripts on how do you do check-ins? Everything. Mm-hmm. Um, management Center and everything a Management Center does mostly is, is free. The trainings aren't, but all the downloads from the website are free. People should go there and get their sample check document. We modified it. Essentially, the meeting starts out with, at the top of the document, there's like your big rocks. Like, what's this quarter? The big things that have to happen. What's on hold? Um, you know, and then right below that, there's a personal check-in. So right when you kind of come together, it's like, how was your weekend? How are you doing? This rapport building and personal check-in time is gold. It is not frivolous. It is not, you know, people who want to get right down to business. I don't believe that that's actually like a good business practice. There's this term, it's a Spanish word that there's no equivalent in English. It is conocimiento. And it means like ways of knowing, ways of knowing each other. And it be really in, in another way, it's like putting people before task. You know, it's like asking about your family and asking about kids having a right relationship with each other. It is gold. It is a management best practice. So in check-ins, don't just zip right down to the work. Immediately make a point of being that open, authentic, and personal leader. You don't like talking about your personal stuff at home? That's fine. Find something to do in that personal uh, check-in at the top. Then go into a standard agenda. So check-ins should be quick, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, tops every other week. And normally it's with your supervisor and someone you're supervising. Every now and then, once a quarter or even once every two months, you might want to have people go cross-departmental because sometimes people will never talk to anyone else in the organization if they don't get a chance to be pushed to. Um, So we can do that as a group or do it individually. But in those standing agendas, the ultimate goal of the standing agendas is so that you're making sure you're on track for whatever goals you've got. 
or and that you are catching any work before it gets, gets too far out ahead of people. What? You've started building a database on your own with a coder to help us with this thing? Well, Steve's doing the same thing. So what things... Stop, doing, stop building yeah. databases. <laughs> stop building databases yeah, or, or, or stop stop hiring your... Like people, people oh, like board yeah. members all the time will just like bring you all of these in-kind things that you don't need, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, let's do our printing. We don't do printing. Well, I found someone though. I found a graphic design. We don't need graphic design. Um, but so having a standard like agenda and check-in is really good with four or five items, but it starts with the personal and, but your touch points, the critical things you need to cover are together. One of the things I sell or give away is a executive director chair check-in document mm-hmm. with standard agenda. What the worst thing is for the chair who doesn't work at the organization at all is to be surprised when a board meeting comes around or when the agenda is being created. So every two weeks, the ED and the chair sort of meet and just talk through these five, how's the money going? How's the programs going? How's the board involvement going? These like five things. And so there's like a standard form you can use. So I do think that they should be 20 minutes, 30 minutes tops if someone's stuck or really having a performance challenge, um, but they're having a standard thing. So it isn't just free floating. How are you doing? whole time. Uh, Managers are hired to get results. And so you do need to make sure these check-ins are actually driven toward a point. Awesome. Oh my goodness. We covered a lot in a short period of time, but I think that's the point. (laughs) Um, And these are such helpful tips on how to break the isolation within the work that you're doing, but without it feeling like wasting time. I think that's a really important combination. So I really appreciate you joining us. Um, yeah, where, just, yeah, go ahead. I was going to one more thing. There are all these forums you can join online. I have one on Facebook called Progressive Executive Directors, like 1.8 thousand people in there. There's like tons of LinkedIn and Facebook and Reddit places where you can just find your tribe and find mm, your people and just talk yeah. and just search for the right keyword, search for the right hashtag. The Association of Fundraising Professionals has like a, if you subscribe or if you're a member, there's like a daily, like, like a listserv of people talking with each other and asking questions, find your people. And, and that community is the thing that keeps a lot of us in the work. Sorry to interrupt. I just wanted to throw that in. No, no, that's awesome. Perfect. Well, that actually brings me to my next question, which is where can our listeners connect with you? Uh, And I know you have some amazing resources that you have available. So do you want to share a couple of those? I was going to make a joke that people can find me at this cabaret bar on Fridays and connect with me there when I'm singing, but I actually can't sing in a cabaret <laughs> bar. Uh, there's a great few of them here in New York, though. Uh, my website is the best place to connect. I have my courses, my blog, um, all the different freebies that I give away. It's all in one great spot. Um, and that is at nonprofitfixer.com. So definitely check out nonprofitfixer, spelled exactly how it sounds, .com. And uh and that's how they can get a hold of me and sign up for updates and free things and all that wonderful stuff. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And of course, to our listeners, we'll see you next week. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and this show is brought to you by The Good Partnership. As a reminder, if you want more resources around raising more money for your small nonprofit, visit thegoodpartnership.com and download our free fundraising strategy guide. I'll see you next week.